Lord Jesus, we come to you. We just praise you, Lord, for the power of your name. God, for the presence of your spirit. God, for your continued blessings in our lives. God, from your provision, God, to your wisdom and direction. And Lord, we just pray this morning, God, that, that your will would be accomplished in our lives, in our families, God, in our jobs, in our relationships, Lord, in our community, Lord, in our nation, and around the world. And God, you know um, of all the chaos, Lord, of wars and struggles, famine, so many things going on in our world, Lord, and we just need your presence. God, we pray for our world leaders today. God, give them wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would touch this world, Lord, with your peaceful hand. God, we pray, Lord, for all those that are fighting in these wars. Lord, from our country and from many others, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that you would touch them and protect them. And God, this morning we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us. God, as we open your word, as we continue to study this, this letter, God, to the church of Thessalonica, we pray, Lord, that you would open our, our eyes and our hearts Lord, to what you need to say to us today. God, may fill us with your spirit. God, fill us with your wisdom and your perspective, God, that you want to show us today. Lord, as we open your word, we claim the promise that your, your word never goes out void, and Lord, we pray that it would do its work today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship, and to worship through song to worship through giving of tithes and offerings, or to worship through fellowship with, with other believers, and to worship you through studying of your word. And God, we pray, again, that you would speak to us this morning. Receive our worship. God, we give you the honor and glory. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing the series we started Last week on 1 Thessalonians, we jumped into the first chapter. Last week, we kind of laid the foundation of, of the fact that this is a letter. It was written by Paul um, and his team, uh, and it was sent to a church that they had started uh, through their ministry. Um, in, in, and they, again, traveled around sharing the gospel. And as people found Christ, and they would start churches in these different towns, um, this church in the town of Thessalonica was one Again, that was the result of Paul's mission to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And he traveled around lots of different places, um, lots of different experiences. We read primarily about his, his different journeys in the book of Acts, as it chronicles a lot of his different missionary journeys and what happened on those. Yeah, we could cross-reference through those, the different people he worked with, uh, the churches he started, and all those things. As we saw last week, again, this is a letter, just like a lot of the New Testament is, and it is written to not just a church, but it is written to the church, right? And as we see, again, the, the, the ball that started rolling here with Paul and with all the other apostles is, has led all the way to where we are today, sitting here in 2023 in church um, at Faith Journey. As we look at those things, there's so much to glean, right, from these letters and, and from the situations that Paul addressed in all these different letters. Again, last week we saw how the sharing of the gospel was the mission of Paul and his team. 
And we address not just the gospel message, but the power of the gospel and all the different parts of the gospel. And we saw God's part and the messenger's part and the Holy Spirit's part, right? And even us as the recipient's part. And once we receive Christ our Savior, we invite him into our life and surrender our, our hearts and our minds and our way. We ask for forgiveness of our sins through the power of the blood of Jesus. Right? We join the journey of faith and start to move in a new direction. A direction of being transformed by God's Spirit every day to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. And as we see all this again last week, I want to jump right back into to where we left off last week. It's just really this letter in Thessalonians, if you've read ahead, you realize that it's really just kind of one continuous thought. Right? There's not a lot of huge breaks in it. And so again, we're going to jump right back into First Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, I uh, invite you to open with me to 1 Thessalonians 2. If you're here with us in person and don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats there you're welcome to use. If you're with us online, you can grab your Bible and follow along as well. Or just listen as I read it, but we're going to start with the first six verses of chapter 2, where it says, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated in Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. It's to get, I'm going to pause there um, before, we, uh, before we jump in you know, further into chapter 2. There's, just, there's a couple things that, that are, are brought up here in these first few verses of chapter 2 that I just want to kind of pause and look at deeper. First off is just the very first verse. And just like as we saw last week as we get into the intro of the, the letter, now here in this thought, um, Paul enters, um, enters us into this line of thinking in 1 Thessalonians 2.1. As when he says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Now, as I read this statement, I, I, I kind of think about how many times have I said these same words in my own mind? Right, thinking back over a task or an interaction or a sermon, right, or, or a, a job or whatever it was, I'm like, was that a failure? Right, and you kind of sense in this that, I mean, Paul is not only telling them, it feels like he's even trying to convince himself a little bit. Like, our visit was not a failure. And now, as I see that, again, I think we can all identify, right? There are times when you step back and ask yourself, man, that sure felt like a failure. Like, I'm not sure I did the best job I could have done in that moment, right? Or I didn't say the right thing, right? Or I, I didn't follow up with the, the, the right, you know, answer. Lord, was that a failure? Can anybody else identify? I think we think about those things, right? And yet we hear Paul telling, telling them, hey, our visit was not a failure. And again, the different tone that that is said in really dramatically can change the meaning. 
Again, is it a question? Is it a statement, right? Is, is it is a contemplative thing, right? Uh, uh, is it rhetorical, right? There are all these things, but, but we realize, right, that, that we have to sit back and ask this question about most things we do in life, right? Was that, was that a success? Was that a win or was it a failure? Now, there are some wins that are easily defined, right? The other team had more points than we did. That's not a win. We get that, don't we? We've all been there. Right? There are some times when you see, like, okay, I had a goal, right, and I didn't hit it. Like, that is not a win. And yet, there, it can be somewhat subjective, right? There, there's all kinds of different ways we can define the win. Sometimes it's black and white. Sometimes it's not. And, and yet, it kind of raises this question that I want to pose to all of us today. Right? How do we define what is a win and what is a failure? Hey, how do we define what's a win and what's a failure? Because the reality, just like with this statement, we can read it different ways, right? And it brings in different perspectives. And the reality is that perspective changes everything. Perspective can change everything. Right? The same experience, the same task, the same conversation, depending on your perspective might be in the win column, or it might be in the dismal failure column. But even as we look at the things that God calls of us as followers of Jesus, right, the, our, the perspective can change everything. In fact, just um, a couple weeks ago, um, we were, I was in a meeting with a bunch of pastors, okay, and we were actually um, it, it was a credentials meeting. We were talking with a candidate, you know, for ordination, and we were asking him about different things, and, and different, you know, perspectives come up about these theological things, and, and again, it was literally stated by one of, one of the pastors on that team that, that perspective can dramatically change everything. For, literally, for him, as we were talking about, there was just one of the, the things we were talking about at that moment was just generosity and like how do we live a life of generosity and that we serve an incredible generous God and, and how do we live that out in our daily life and, and in our time, in our finances and, and all those different things, right? And he shared again with that candidate that, that, that perspective changes everything. In fact, he was specifically talking about giving, right, and tithing and your finances and he said, just realizing that everything I have is God's, right? That that perspective changes, changed his entire viewpoint, right? Of giving 10% of his increase, right? Because that, what that does is it changes your perspective from, I have to give up 10% for 10, 10% of my stuff to, to God lets me keep 90% of what he brings into my life, right? And that perspective changes everything. Right, I think as we, that's just one example. I mean, there's so many different ways, right, that the, the perspective changes everything. And yet, um, how we define the win can dramatically change our perspective. Right, and, and as we see that, there's a few things, again, that Paul um, tells the church here just to reiterate, whether it's in his own mind or even to them, or just to reiterate that his visit was not a failure. Right, that it was indeed a win. And there, there's a few different ways he points out here. The, the first way that he, he points out that it was a win, right, is, and when you think about how we did define a win, even in our lives, 
right, is we can use these concepts, right, and apply them into what's in front of us. With that first, the first one is this, is, is the fact that a win is not always easy. Right, a win is not always easy. In fact, most of the time, it's not easy. Most of the time, we see somebody win, right? And even if they've, you know, but also realizing that that's just one brief moment. I think this is obviously applicable in sports. We know that in sports, the win is pretty easily defined, right? And yet, when you see the winning team or the winning person, what you don't see is all of the practices, right? And all of the, the, the theory behind it, right? And the scheme that they've thought up and, and all the different scenarios and, and all the day in and day out grind that it takes to get there, right? And the win is not always easy. And we see here, as Paul was, was talking about their visit and how it was not a failure, we, we see he describes here how, how hard they have to work, how hard they grind to continue to spread the gospel. And in, in verse 2, he says, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Again, he, he points out the fact that, that, right, in the town before with you, it was tough. Even when we came to you, we got this like it, right? There was opposition we found there, and yet we continued forward with our mission. Right? Because and, and the, the mission was to share the gospel, to declare the good news to them boldly. And again, that was, a, that was the win. Right? Even though it wasn't easy, even though it was a hard grind, even though there was opposition, even though they were treated terribly, right? all the things they say, you know those things, and, and you saw what happened there, and, and yet it was not easy, right? but it was also not a failure. Because so many times in life, I think that's part of our temptation. Right? Our temptation is to just take the easy way. Right? That's, that's, that temptation is in front of us every day. Right? I'll, I'll, just, I'll just take the easy way. I'll cut the corner. Right? I'll, I'll just stop now. Right? And, and yet, the win is not, rarely is the win easy. The next thing that we see in this letter is, is um, and it comes out of verse 3, is that the win needs to be based on truth and reality. Truth and reality. Again, we all know this, right? A win gained by cheating is not a real win. Even if you don't get caught, it's still not a true win. Right? And, and again, I think about back in my, you know, my childhood growing up. And that was just when video games just started to be a thing that you could do in your house. Okay, I remember when I was six years old, I was so excited, we got our own Nintendo. In fact, I still have it, right? The one we got when I was six years old. Again, there's, as you start, we started to play these games, right? And again, just like today, I mean, it becomes a whole thing. I mean, it's a thing today that I just can't even touch, right? But, But 
If, if, you, if you remember the, the original NES Nintendo, right? And, and you do that, how many of you remember that left, left, right, right, up, down, up, down, A, B, A, B, 1, right? Yes, there's people, right? We know that, don't we? Right, we know that. And it always got you the win, by the way. Was it a real win? Right? Was it a real win? Right, because it wasn't based in reality. The reality was it's a cheat code. Right? And it wasn't a real win. I mean, it made me feel good in the moment, right? But it wasn't a real win. There's so many times in life, right, we're tempted again to, to use the cheat code. Right? I, just, I just need to, you know, to, to win out. And, and yet we, we see, again, as, as Paul points out in verse 3, he says, again, you can see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. He said, we presented the gospel to you, right? We, we just gave you the, the truth, the, the reality of, of what it is and who God is and who we are and why, how we need him, right? That, that we, just, we just gave you the, the gospel, right? With no deceit, no impure motives, no trickery. And yet, I don't know about you, but I look at our world today and I see a lot of smoke and mirrors. Right, where I was sitting back, I was like, can I believe that? Is that the whole story? Is that really true? Who do I trust? Who do I trust to hear my news from? Right, who do I trust with my finances? Who do I trust at my job? Right, who do I trust? Which neighbors can I trust? Right, like who's out to deceive me and who isn't, right? I mean, who can I trust my login credentials with, right? I, I mean, there's so much in this world we can't trust. Right? There's so much that it feels like in our world that, that is trickery and deceit and impure motives. And, and yet, he's re reminding them and reminding us that, that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God, when it comes to the truth of his word, Right, is that we can trust it. Hey, but a real win cannot be based on, on trickery or deception. It has to be based in truth and reality. Right, the, the next thing he points out about the win is that ultimately the win needs to please God. Right, the win needs to please God. Otherwise, is it really a win? Are we pleasing God right, with our lives? Are we pleasing God with our attitudes? Are we pleasing God with our actions, with our relationships? Right? Are, is God pleased? Can he smile on me? Right? Is, the wind needs to please God. You see, in, in, again, in verse 4, he says, Our purpose is to please God, not people. For he alone examines the motives of our heart. This is one of those moments when you sit back, you read that verse, and you're like, I wonder what he really means. Right, there's, no, there's no smoke and mirrors there. Are right, you saying our purpose, first and foremost, is to please God? 
because he alone examines the motives of our hearts. Again, we, we see this concept all throughout Scripture, right, about the fact that God looks at the heart. God cares about your heart way more than he cares about a lot of other details. Now, he cares about every detail. Right? But first and foremost, he wants your heart. Right? And that's, again, why he gives us direction about all the things he gives us. Right? Every area of our life, our relationships, our finances, our time, right? our, our faith. Right? Because it all comes down to our heart. Right? And, and, and ultimately, right, is that our goal as a follower of Jesus right, is, is to please God, not people. As we see, again, as he you know, says, our visit to you was not a failure. And he kind of describes these different ways that we can define the win, right, as, as followers of Jesus. The, in verses 5 and 6, he kind of points out a few other ways, right, that, um, that are potential wins that aren't really wins, okay, that, that don't meet these criteria. The, the first one he points out is in verse 5, right, and that is where the, the potential win would be if we got paid. It would be if we made some money off of you, right? I notice he's, I mean, he says that. He's like, no, we didn't come, right, to, for financial gain. That's not why we spread the gospel with you. Hey, and now again, there are, are perfect things that we do in life, rightfully so, to get paid, right? That's why we go to work, right? And again, Scripture tells us over and over and over again, right, that the worker deserves his wage, right? There's nothing wrong with being paid. Hey, but if that is your sole motivation, right, then that's not a good win. Right? In fact, we, we've all met people with that sole motivation. Right? The, the other potential win that, that he points out right, is the win of human praise. Again, why am I in this? Right? Am I here just to get the accolades? Right? To get to get the, the trophy, right, to get all the social media shares, right? Like, like, why am I in this? Again, am I here to please God or am I here to please people? Am I, again, trying to get human praise? Is that my motivation? Or is it to please God? Again, he points out these, these, these ways. Again, there's nothing wrong with human praise either, right? But, but if that's your motivation, that's the true win of your life, I think you're constantly clamoring, right, for, for those, those words. And, and that easily turns into degrading other people to make yourself get the win. And as, as we think about these, these ways, again, how we define the win dramatically changes our Right, not just in these different situations, but, but in, in the big picture of our life. Right? What is it that I'm truly living for? Am I living to please God or am I living to just get the cheap win? As we see this, that he points out, right, that their, it, their visit was not a failure. And then he goes into these next verses and he kind of goes deeper into this of 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 the, the true win. So let's, let's pick back up at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. 
or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless towards all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. You know, as we read, again, these verses, we, we see here where Paul kind of takes a very personal turn in his writing. In some ways, it feels like that he's defending his actions, right, as he makes his, his, the case that his motives were pure. So at first, when I first read this, I'm like, oh, who's accusing him, all right, of not being pure? Because it feels like he's kind of, he's defending himself. And, and yet, as, as I read, research looked at the, the tone of, of the language that he uses. The tone is not one of responding to a direct accusation, but it is one of, of comparing himself to other impure teachers. And he's kind of saying, hey, there are impure teachers out there, but I just want to make it clear that I'm not one of them. And, and as he gives this defense or, you know, making his case, right, about what the true win is, I mean, the overall concept he presents in these verses is that with pure heart, we can embrace the role of a spiritual parent. And not only, again, is, is our mission, as we saw last week, to, to be messengers of the gospel. Okay, but ultimately, if we go back to, you know, to the mission of, of, that Jesus gave us as followers of him, is that we are first and foremost to be a disciple of Jesus. Right? But the mission doesn't stop there. In fact, the mission is that we will become a disciple that makes other disciples. Okay, that we will become a spiritual parent. Again, if we get the true win of the gospel, right? That people turn their lives and hearts to Christ. That, that we then walk with them as, as a father treats a child. It starts first and foremost, right, with... God becoming our heavenly Father. And then we pour into others to become a, a true disciple of Christ that is helping make more disciples. All of this really culminates into verse 12. Again, as we, as we read this section, right, and he kind of you know, pulls out a few more points, and then he, he reiterates the reality that, that regardless of Paul and his team's efforts, that it is ultimately their decision whether they're going to follow God or not. As we see that as it culminates in verses 11 and 12. Right? And this is where he says, he says, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Again, he continues to, to further define the win here for them, doesn't he? Again, he's like, we have done everything that we can do. Again, just like a father does 
for a child. Okay, we teach you the ways you should do life. Okay, we, we show you by the way we live, by all these kinds of things. And yet at the end of the day is it comes down to what you decide. And it's between you and God. And I tell you, again, as a parent, if you're a parent, you, you know this, right? Like, you want the best for your kids. You pour everything you can into your kids. And yet, at the end of the day, they have to make their decision. All right, I can't save them. As your pastor, I can't save any of you. Right? And I want to plead as a, as a father does with a kid, make the right decision, right? Like, I'll show you all this. I'll model it for you. All those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's, about, it's between you and God. Right? Now, again, he's, he's saying, he's like, I've pull, we poured out everything we can do for you. Right? We, we pleaded with you. We encouraged you. We urged you, right, to live your lives in a way that God would consider. Because it matters what God thinks. Not what I do. Again, are you a disciple, right? The first thing, we taught you the gospel with clarity, right? With truth. We gave you everything that's out there. First off, are you a disciple of Christ? And then the real win of you continuing to grow in your own faith is the fact that you reproduce. Right? That, that you are a disciple that helps other people become disciples. Okay? And so really, I think the, the true win, I think if you see this in, and in his other writings, it comes out even more clear than it does here. But the true win for Paul is not to have spiritual children, but to have spiritual grandchildren and spiritual great-grandchildren. Right? And, and for the baton to continue to be passed on. Right, that more and more people find Christ and, and are saved and redeemed and set free and transformed by the Holy Spirit right, and move on to where it continues to expand. I mean, it's the same mission we're on today. I, and again, we can plead with you. We can show you the example, but at the end of the day, it comes down to you and God. And then we... we Move from here to, to this next three verses, right? 13 through 16. And, and this is where he kind of change, changes gears a little bit. And, notice, and again, we'll pick up here, verse 13. And he says, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffer persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. And now they have persecuted us too. They failed to please God and work against all humanity. As they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. And by doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. Hey, now, again, there's this, this tone of this letter, right, that, that probably those, the original people, that's like as I read, that they knew who he was talking about. 
Right now, obviously, we don't, right? He doesn't name them. You know, and, and yeah, at the same time, there, there is a lot we can glean, right, from him describing this situation with these specific people. Okay, first off is when we start off on the very first word of 13, right, we see that word. We've talked about this before, right? When you're reading scripture, right, the word therefore. And again, I remember I had uh, one of the, my professors in college, right, that always said, every time you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore therefore? Because, as we know, we've talked about this before, when you see a therefore, it means that he's building on top of the previous point. And then he's moving on to build on top of that. So, again, you have to fully understand what the previous point was before you can move on to the next part, right? So, again, we've seen, we've defined the wind. We understand that it's between them and God and about the gospel. And he says, now, to build on top of that, Right? As you, to become a spiritual parent, there, there are some realities that come with being a spiritual parent. Again, it, now if you're an actual parent, you understand there are realities that come with being a parent. You will never sleep in again. At least until they move out. As you will never have a big savings account again until they move out. Sorry, maybe that's not entirely true. But there are some realities that come with being a parent. Right? Now, there are also some realities about being a spiritual parent. And he walks us through these, through these verses. The, the first one that he points out of this reality about being a spiritual parent is in verse 13, when we have to be reminded that the focus needs to be about God, not me. Okay, that, that as I grow my own faith, as I pour into somebody else's faith, as I help them along the journey, that the focus has to stay on God. Right, as he says, right, that they never stop thanking God. That when you received the message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God. Okay, and... Again, and see, what does he say? He says, this word continues to work in you as you believe. Right? This is about us as that spiritual parent of getting out of the way and letting God do what God needs to do. Hey, again, there's that, that time as a parent when you have to get out of the way and let your kids do what they're going to do. That's a hard transition, by the way. Right? And yet, as we see in that, right, the focus has to always be on God. Right? Otherwise, we become the helicopter parent. Right? We don't want to do that, by the way. With our actual kids, especially with our spiritual kids. Right? It's ultimately, at the end of the day, it's between them and God. It has to stay on God. Right? We have to fight that temptation. The, the next thing he points out about the reality of being a spiritual parent is that suffering and persecution will happen. That suffering and persecution will happen. Again, he talks about them not only as he's already addressed how, how they had come up against resistance with the gospel and about all these things, right? And yet he, he says that now after you have followed Christ and you start working in this, right, you're coming up against opposition right, and persecution from those around you. 
And again, and your spiritual kids will do the same. Now, as we sit back again, perspective changes everything. I think we have to kind of pause here and think about our, you know, 21st century American Christian perspective. Is that suffering and persecution, according to our context, is very different than it is around the world. In fact, there are those literally right now, right, that are paying for their faith with their life in our world today. Right? And again, that's the truth and reality. Uh, is, is, again, in our country, in our context, we have incredible freedoms that we take for granted every day. And there are those, again, that are dying for their faith. And by the way, those are also the places in the world where the church is growing the fastest. And that's not a coincidence. That, but that's a different conversation. Suffering and persecution will happen. Again, our suffering and persecution is very different than those around the world. And yet, again, sometimes, you know, but it's still, right, is that we are going against the current of our world. And we will find that, right? And again, it comes in all kinds of ways. Which kind of leads to this next point in verse 16, and that is that there is opposition to the gospel spreading. And there still is today. Right, there is still opposition to the gospel spreading. And I think as we look at that and realize again as a spiritual parent, knowing that there are going to be setbacks, right? There are going to be times when, when your kids disappoint you and they make the wrong decision. But yet, we have to continue to fight through the opposition. Right? Whether it's from their decisions, whether it's the, the enemy, right? spiritual warfare, I mean, all those kinds of things, right? There is opposition to the gospel spreading. And that is absolutely true today. And yet, as we see all of these things, and again, it's, we have to still fight that, that original temptation of like, what is the real win? And, and it depends on what, what, what God says, not us, because even all of the, the evil that's in this world, the reality is we have to rest in the truth that God alone is the judge. Okay, that God alone is the judge. Okay, that's not our job. That's God's job. And quite frankly, I don't want that job. I'm going to let God do what is God's job. And yet, as a spiritual parent, my job is to continue to do what he told me to do. And that's to take my faith seriously. Right? And grow in my faith as much as I can. And, and to be a disciple that makes other disciples. To be a spiritual parent. Be a spiritual grandparent. And now, as you see, again, he, he kind of summarizes all this up in the last few verses of this chapter, um, Thessalonians 2, verses 17 through 20. And this is, again, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. And as we read these verses, right, we, we see ultimately the way the win is defined. And the way that he defines the win is by strong relationships. 
is by strong relationships. First with God, and then with people. And the ultimate source of joy and of hope and joy for Paul and his team is seeing them continue with a strong faith. They know that even physical separation isn't the end. That when Christ returns, if not before, we will be together again. You see, again, on your handout, I, I put up these verses for you, verses 19 and 20. They where it says, after all, what gives us hope and joy is what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns. Again, what is that? It's you. It's you are a part in joy. Again, I, I encourage you to underline a couple of very key words here. First off, underline or circle the phrase, stand before our Lord Jesus. Because the reality, the truth, no smoke and mirrors, right, just through, the reality is every person will do that. Will stand before God. And that is our first priority, right, for you, in your heart. Are you ready to do that? First and foremost, you need to make God your heavenly father. Embrace your true identity as God's child. Have that, that broken relationship with God restored. Again, the real win is relationships, right? First and foremost, between you and God. And again, I've, we've talked about it so many times, right? Christianity is not about a religion. It is a relationship with God. First and foremost. Has that relationship been restored for you? And then the, the other thing, right, that we underline, that we circle, right, is just, it is you. And as you look at that, again, that he said, what's the true source of joy in our life? It's being a spiritual parent. It's fulfilling your role as a messenger of the gospel. As, as we think about this, right, what, again, what is, as a follower of Jesus, right, first and foremost is about my relationship with God. How am I doing in my own faith journey? Am I growing? Am I becoming more like Christ tomorrow than I am today? But, and then the next thing is, how am I a disciple who is helping make other disciples? And I'll tell you again, invitations, right? Invitations to church are so incredibly powerful. In fact, that's, that's how we truly spread the gospel. Again, we, we put things on our reader board and put banners out there and we do all the kinds of things, right? But the reality is what truly grows God's kingdom is personal invitations. And again, that's how we spread the gospel. That's what Paul and his team did, right? They showed up. They built relationships. As he said, we shared our lives with you. Right? Who is it that you put on that 360 card we handed out a couple months ago? Right? Who is it that God's putting in your way, right, to that needs help with their faith, right, that God's calling you to reach out to. Because we see, again, our vision and mission as a church is to join the journey. Right, when it's a reminder for me to continue in my relationship with God, to continue to join the journey every day and be closer to him. And it's also a motivator to invite others to come along with you and help them grow their relationship with God as you grow yours. How do you define the win in your life? How do you define the win in your faith? Right, how, how, 
are you going to please God? So the, first and foremost, the way you please God is by restoring that relationship with him if it's broken, if it's been severed. And then how am I going to please God as I walk with him every day, as I grow in my faith? How am I going to please God in my career, in my parenting, in my marriage if I'm married? How am I going to please God as a single person if I'm single? How am I going to please God in the way I do my schoolwork or the way I talk to my neighbor or the way that I invite someone to come with me to church or the way that I treat people in traffic. Maybe that's too close to home. How do I please God? Because that's the real win. I just you my final thought this morning is this. It comes out of Galatians 1.10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Are you Christ's servant today? I hope you are. If you're not, then you can open your life to Christ and pray and receive him as your Savior and start that journey today. If you are Christ's servant already, then what's the next step he's asking you to take? Because nothing will please God more than you being a devoted, surrendered disciple that's helping make other disciples. Lord God, that is our declaration today. God, that we believe in you. God, we believe in the power, Lord, of your presence. Lord, we believe in the truth of the gospel. And God, we, Lord, want to please you with everything in our lives. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that you would guide our steps. Lord, you would open our eyes to how our perspective needs to change. God, to to the mission you sent us on. God, to to where we've maybe even put in the cheat code. But God, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to overwhelm us, Lord, as your children. Lord, we give our lives to you as our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we commit this week not to grow in our faith, not to show the world who you are by how we love you and how we love each other. God, that we will follow through, Lord, with who you're putting on our heart to to invite to church, to pray for, to, to reach out to. God, we'll embrace being a spiritual parent, someone that desperately needs you. Would we go this week loving you and serving you with everything we have. Lord, guide our steps every day. We love you. We praise you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray.